Hi there, this is How to Choose, the show that helps you make better decisions and improve your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tessa. And I'm Ken. And Tess, this is a special episode. It is, of course, the last episode, a bonus episode in our fifth season, but there's something else special about this. Very special. We're having our 50th episode. Our to... golden anniversary. Yay! How we exciting. Have... It is exciting. It is exciting. We should have golden microphones. It makes me think of John Laws when we're thinking of golden episodes. Remember John Laws, the radio broadcaster who had his famous gold-plated microphone? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, no. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe okay. we'll get some spray paint out. <laughs> well, it's been great doing the show together. I cannot believe that we've reached 50 episodes. It blows my mind. It's gone so quickly. Yeah. And... I think the main thing I want to reflect on for this one is just the journey. Like we could think about all the topics we've covered, all the learning we've got to do, which is yep. the real privilege of having this show is that yes. we get we get to learn along with all of you. But I think it's just we're so grateful for mum and grandma, our two listeners. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah hope you're both well. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, we obviously have a few more, a few more than just yeah. our immediate family, and yeah. you really make this uh, so special. We appreciate your feedback, uh, your input, and your ears too. You know, otherwise it's just Ken and I chatting, which we would do anyway. But exactly, yeah, <laughs> it's been very gratifying to see. I mean, we've got listeners all around the world. I don't know how many countries now. I think it might be around eighty countries, which is really amazing and and people who've uh, supported us and really encouraged us so we we're thankful for that and uh, yeah as Tess said we have learned a lot it's been fascinating uh, for us to dive deep on some of these topics and it's a real privilege for us to share with you and we're looking forward to the next 50 episodes to see where they might take us yeah exactly uh, and as we always say we welcome your feedback you know this show is is hopefully useful for you and we really want to make it better. So please drop us a line, go to goodbetterright.com.au with some feedback or any of our social media if you want to get in touch. We are always very keen to hear from you. Absolutely. And we know that actually you've clicked on this episode because you're interested to hear from Patricia McKibben, our special guest. And for those who don't know, Trish is a champion trail runner. She's the top ranked female in the International Trail Runners Association for the National League Australia. She was the first female finisher in the recent grueling Ultra Trail Kosciuszko 100 kilometer race, and she finished seventh overall out of all the competitors. Amazing. Uh, and this was only three weeks after winning the Stromlo Running Festival 50 kilometer in a personal best time. 150 kilometers in three weeks, that's, and that's probably training in between, isn't it? That's about how much I do in three years. Um, Trish also represented Australia in the World Mountain and Trail Running Championships in Austria. So it's our great privilege to hear from Trish today. It's a really special interview. Enjoy. All right. Well, Trish, thank you so much for your time. I, I guess a, an opening question would be, how did you get into trail running? And I think it would be helpful for people who aren't familiar with trail running to just clarify what we mean when we say trail running. Because I think if, if you're imagining Trish going out for a gentle 5K run through the woods, it's often a little bit more intense than that from what I've seen in the videos. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Um, yeah, so a good question. Trail running actually incorporates lots of different things. So really, if you're running on a trail, then you're trail running. So a 5K run through the woods is trail running, and there are lots of short course trail runs, which are really popular at the moment, which is wonderful. So I guess what I do is more towards the ultra running trail running. 
side of things. So an ultra marathon is anything over the 42.2 kilometer marathon run. So a lot of my runs would be over that distance. So the 50 to 100K distance. And I just happen to also run those on trails and I prefer more mountainous trails. So again, trail running, you could have flat trails. I just, I prefer to go up into the mountains for a bit of an adventure. And I've seen some pictures of you where you're, you've actually got poles as well. Is that correct? So you're going up some really steep terrain sometimes. Yeah. So the poles are used for lots of different reasons, not necessarily just to sort of help pull yourself up, but you can get an, a reduction of how much energy you're having to use with your legs. So for the longer distances, a lot of people choose sort of 100 kilometers plus to use poles. So that when you are climbing the hills, some of that effort's going through your arms rather than just your legs for the entire time. So it's more of a, it's a bit strategic when I use the poles as well. But yes, you wouldn't tend to use them on a flatter course. Your most recent run was at the Kosciuszko Ultra Run. Is, have I got that right? Yeah, that's right. So in December last year, I raced the Ultra Trail by Kosciuszko, which was 100 kilometers down in Kosciuszko National Park. And for those who are listening from overseas, so Kosciuszko is our tallest mountain in Australia. So that's up in an alpine region and you won that too. So congratulations for that. Thank you. I'm sure there's a huge amount of training at the elite level. Can you just, just to give our listeners a sense of how much work it actually is, what's an average week or average month? You know, how many kilometers do you actually have to do to maintain your fitness levels? Um, and is there much variety or are you basically just running really long distances all the time? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, I think there's variety. Potentially those who don't enjoy running as much as me might think it's relatively repetitive. Um, I do have a coach, so I get a program each week. My program's actually relatively consistent in how it looks, so the structure of it. So I usually do a long run on a Sunday. I do a, a hill session on a Wednesday and a speed session on a Saturday. And then on the other days, easy runs of various hilliness, um, depending on which races I'm training for. So I run six days a week. I don't run actually as much as a lot of the other ultra runners that I know. I probably run between 80 to 100 kilometers a week. And then I do some strength training. And then there's lots of time, I guess, I spend thinking about my nutrition, rolling out my legs, flexibility, that sort of thing. But the running itself, uh, it's on the low side for me, but that's usually mainly because I have a full-time job or more than full-time job and a family and stress is stress. So when my coach sets my program, it takes into account the stress from work and what can actually fit in a week without leading to injury and burnout. That's such a good point. And I think even if you're doing it at quite a low beginner level, as Ken and I are as runners, <laughs> you do, you've got to think about that balance, don't you? Like there's no point doing more kilometers if it's actually going to, you know, create more stress in your life or potentially injury or, you know, detriment, I guess you've got to have the balance. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So I tend to try and train smart. So they say, so yeah, I usually max out about hundred kilometers a week for me, maybe a little bit over during a peak training block. But I do a lot of vert. So for the road runners out there who think, oh, that's nothing, the time I spend on my feet's a little bit longer because most of my runs will involve climbing up mountains, you know, during that session. Yeah. And in case you feel like you have to justify that that's not very far, that sounds like a long way <laughs> to me. I, I actually, I went for a run yesterday because I knew I was going to be talking to you today. <laughs> so I thought I'm going to go for a run. And I've been talking about my running in the podcast a little bit. I've, have you had your long run yet this weekend? And how no. far? How So tomorrow? Tomorrow, yes. And when you say long, how far distance and then how long in terms of time, given that you said you'd be doing a fair bit of, of vertical distance as well? 
Yeah, so it depends. You know, a typical long run, it does depend on what race I'm training for. So I do train to time. I don't train to distance. So tomorrow's a three-hour run. Probably based on what I've been prescribed, it'll be about 30 kilometres. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so I'll incorporate some some climbing in that. That's very impressive. Now, my next question is when you are running, because this is what I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of listeners will find hard to get their head around. You know, you're covering very long distances or long periods of time. On a typical run, what is going through your mind when you're generally feeling good? Do you get bored? Do you focus on something particular to get yourself in a good headspace? Do you switch into some kind of Zen running state? What what's going through your mind? Um, I don't think I've ever really gotten bored. That that's a really good question. <laughs> that's usually what most people think is happening. Um, look, I think it's lots of different things I think about. Often there's a purpose for my my training. So at the moment I'm really focusing on my nutrition. So I'm thinking about that you know, very specific intervals that I'm trying to drink or take in salt or eat and what I'm eating. I might be focusing on the beautiful place that I'm in. Sometimes I'm just looking around and I'm not really thinking of anything in particular. I think sometimes, yes, you go into a Zen state, you look at your watch and it's, oh, I'm already half an hour further down the track and I didn't really notice. I do run with other people sometimes. So if I had a four to five hour long run, I would usually try and run for some of that with others because it's a long time to spend by yourself. But a lot of my training I do do by myself from a convenience perspective. I have a young child and I I do try not to be away for too long. So it doesn't always work out with other people. I listen to audiobooks, I listen to podcasts, music, the radio. I might switch it up within one run, a bit of everything. It just depends. If I'm doing a hard run, I actually find it really hard to listen to any kind of story or something I need to concentrate. I prefer to either have one upbeat song that I play on repeat for the intervals or I actually don't listen to anything because I find it too hard to concentrate. And once I lose concentration, I lose my pace and I lose the consistency of my pace. So yeah, I actually find I concentrate on what I'm doing a fair bit of the time. That's really interesting. I find it fascinating how the brain works too, you know, that our brains can only sort of concentrate on so much at, at any one time. So that that's really interesting. And I look, just a practical question. I've wondered this a lot, Trish. How on earth do you keep your watch battery or phone battery going for these super long events that you've done? Because you've done some really long ones. Do you ever run out of battery and you think, oh, no, no I've, I've come and tracked that? Um, yeah, so often um, taking a battery pack with you to charge your phone is part of the mandatory gear. So the race I did over in Europe last year, we had to take a battery pack and I did use it. My watch, and I won't throw out brands here, but you can <laughs> buy watches that have long battery life. Um, you can change the settings that so they'll last for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. I have had ultras though where I forgot to change it over to that and my watch did did die. Um, the first 100K I ever did, I only had three hours on my watch, so I just didn't record it. So, Oh, wow. Like it never existed. <laughs> <laughs> and I should say, you can feel free to mention your sponsor names. Tess and I are constantly referring to companies that we wish sponsored us. <laughs> so you can actually do a shout out to your companies because I, um, yeah. uh, I know you're part of the Ultra crew. I am part of the Ultra Run crew, yes. Yeah, which has been really wonderful just for the last midway through last year and then I've signed on again for this year. Yeah, awesome. 
And now we're going to switch into the topic that we're super excited about, which is perseverance. And we, you, you're just the perfect person to speak about this, given it's, you know, it's what you're doing all the time. And in competitive races, just interested, we've been talking about what's going through your mind. Is your goal purely to finish the race? You know, are you thinking about how your body feels or about winning? In terms of, you know, that perseverance when you're in the, the pain part, what's actually going through your mind? Yeah. So um, in a, any 100K race, I would say my primary goal is to finish. 100K is so long that so much can go wrong. You know, you might never have stomach issues and then all of a sudden in this race, for whatever reason, your stomach doesn't cooperate and you can't take in fuel, you're feeling sick, um, you can fall like it's trail running. We're on really rocky terrain a lot of the time. So you never know, you know, you might just not feel good either. So you never know, I guess, in a 100K race, even if you look at the lineup and you say, oh, yeah, here's the top 10, you never know what's going to happen. So I don't tend to go into races with place goals. Obviously, I would love to win. I don't always win and that's fine. So I I try to set more personal goals because when I, I guess that mindset of going into a race, I can't control how the other runners are going to run. They're going to run as fast as they're going to run on the day. So all I can control is how I'm going to run and how I'm going to approach the race. So I do tend to set more personal goals about how I want to approach the race. And then if that turns out on the day that that's first, that's great. If it's not, that's fine. So I usually set multiple goals. So I'll have an A goal and a B goal and sometimes a C goal too. And I find that really helpful because if the A goal isn't going to work, you know, you wanted to do it in this specific time or lately I've been setting goals around trying to do it without being sick because I have a lot of nausea and issues. As soon as that happens, if that's my only goal, it's a lot easier to give up because what's the purpose? You have no more goals. So I do find it really helpful from that perseverance aspect to have multiple goals and I just work down. And the final goal will always be for me personally to finish. That's Everything's a- going wrong. That's my final goal. Yeah. yeah. It's such a good point that if you fixate too much on one thing and then you you lose it, then it, you know it's almost like your purpose has disappeared. So it's really smart to have those multiple layers of goals. And, you know, again, it's being adaptable, which we've talked about this season, which is so important to being successful, um, that you do need to be able to respond to your environment and change tactics when when things change. So I think that's a really good tip for anyone, not just in, you know, your elite level, but, you know, you can take that into your workplace or your personal life too. Yeah. Look, I know, and you mentioned it too, uh, Trish, that you represented Australia last year in Europe in a really tough race. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so there were actually two races over in Europe. So one, I was representing Australia and one was just me. Um, I think that you're probably referring to the one that was just me. That took me a very long time. And um, I did have to come back to that final goal of just finish. So it was 100 kilometres. It starts in Cormaillot in Italy and you run on the Tour de Mont Blanc, which is the trail that runs around the Massif, um, Mm. Mont Blanc. So the whole trail was 171 kilometers, and I I did the shorter version, which is 100 kilometers. So you start in Cormaillot in Italy, <laughs> and you run through Switzerland, finish in Chamonix in France. So it's kind of, I guess, the pinnacle of trail running. It's the big event, very exciting. I qualified through a race that I'd done the year before, and yeah, it was sort of my dream to go. Unfortunately, things just didn't work for me that day. So it was quite hot. We'd come out of an Australian winter. And yeah, just couldn't take in nutrition. So got very sick from 40K. So I still had 60 kilometers to go. There was over 6,000 meters of vertical gain. So I don't know if that means much to many people, but I know, um, Ken, if you think about our local Mount Ainsley, it's over 30 times up that. Um, That is insane. (laughs) 
So it's at altitude, so higher than our highest mountain in Australia. So look, it was just, it was a great adventure. I didn't know what to expect. My stomach did not enjoy it. So yeah, look, I started getting quite sick, uh, physically sick at 40 Ks. And um, at 50 Ks, I got to the aid station and I said to my husband, he cruised me, "Uh, I can't do this. I'm done. I can't do this. I'm sick. He just wouldn't let me pull out. He said, just sit here for a second, get your stuff, walk down the road and see how you feel. It was the first time I jumped so quickly to wanting to stop, which gave me a lot of reflection. I, I and since then, like in Cosmat in the Kosciuszko race, I, I did learn a lot from that European race, and I, I was able to sort of use some of my mental strategies a bit better. But um, yeah, I kept on going down the road and kept going, kept being sick. I didn't drink. I think I threw up for fourteen hours in total, and I got to eighteen k's to go, and I was I was in a really bad way, and I fainted and was laying in medical for three and a half hours due to low blood pressure. So I waited there and then I thought I sort of started getting eating, drinking salt. Um, if you have an IV, you disqualified. So I decided to sip salt water just to give myself the opportunity if I changed my mind. And after three and a half hours, I got clearance from medical and I decided I did want to finish. I was only 18 kilometers from the finish, one more climb to go. Yes, yeah, so I took off again into the night. And I did finish, <laughs> which was wonderful. I, I will just put it out there that I did I did get medical clearance. I wouldn't recommend you do this. There are risks with ultras in terms of like kidneys. Um, so I had been checked for that with the dehydration. But yeah, I did decide to finish. Um, it was extremely painful. I lost a lot of weight. It was not, yeah, it was the, some of the most pain I think I'd ever experienced, to be honest with you. But I did get to the finish line. Yeah, and I'm going back again to try again this year. <laughs> Oh, Trish, that yeah, so impressive. What an incredible story. Perseverance. Yeah, yeah. I think that <laughs> we stopped the interview that, now. That's <laughs> that's perseverance. Yeah. Um, I will it, just put it out there, though. Obviously, you shouldn't necessarily do that if you are at risk. But yes, no, I was five hours slower than I had planned. So all my previous goals had um had gone out the window. Yeah. Yeah, and listen, that's you make a good point, and we will come back to that. Actually, that question of of being informed as you were through that process as well. So, mm. and it's interesting that you said that was one of the the few times that you've actually you know decided to pull out. And I I wonder if it, was it because you were sick at that forty k mark? You were only forty percent of the way through. Is often the the pain point later in a race? Um, actually, my low point because one of the things and. I don't know if we're touching this or the things that I use in order to persevere, but I, I often have, so anyone in an ultra will have a low point. It's guaranteed. So if you went into a hundred kilometer race thinking it's going to be wonderful, you're probably going to DNF because you'll get to a point where it's not wonderful. It's completely unexpected and you'll, you'll pull out. I don't want to do this, but you always, you do have a low. You also are then really likely to have a high afterwards. So if you can expect that, it's actually really common to push through to feel better again. And then you might feel terrible again. So a lot of people refer to ultras as life in a day. You'll have ups, you'll have downs, you'll have everything in between. So it's just about having strategies to kind of work through that and know that it will change. So in terms of the low point for me, I often have a low around 40K. And the reason is, is a lot of my long runs are between 30 and 40K. And so once I get to 40K, it's my body's really sweet point and then it goes into the unknown. So whilst I've done lots of ultras now, I mean, I don't run 100K more than once, max twice a year. 
So it's not like I'm doing it all the time and have this muscle memory of what it feels like because I would break down. It's not like for me anyway. I'm sure there's someone out there who can do it. But so having that sort of gap between my, my body's natural 40K is my sweet spot. So yeah, like really common for me to have a low at 40. The difference for me in this race is that I had... It was just such a big deal. I had been working towards this for so many years and it meant so much to me. And so I think the disappointment that my stomach wasn't working, my initial reaction was just straight away, this is just ruined. Um, and I went into a negative headspace, which is not helpful and does not help with perseverance during these kinds of races. You, you have to change the narrative. And I did end up changing the narrative to this is an adventure. You know, I'm in the mountains, I'm in Europe. This is my dream. Like just doing this is amazing. And that's how I managed to finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think it, the headspace is so important for this. Like it's physical, but it's also so psychological, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And and it's funny when you're talking about, um, you know, the lows and the highs, I was actually thinking about childbirth mm-hmm. uh, and transition and the point that a lot of people in childbirth also get to a point where they think, I can't do this. And that's when they're like, you know, like you're, you're at your point of exhaustion, but it's normally just that point where you're just about to get into the, you know, the pushing and the final stage. It, yeah, it's just funny. The psychology of doing anything really tough, you know, that's pushing your body to to the limits. It's so much of it is in your head as well. You've talked about some of the challenges, I guess. And I'm just interested as well, what other things are there that people wouldn't know? You know, I didn't think that long distance runners would be literally throwing up and that would be something you'd have to work through. Are there other things people in, you know, your sport have to deal with that we wouldn't be aware of? Yeah, I guess being out for a whole day means that one of, I mean, the main thing I would actually say is the nutrition and hydration. So training your stomach is just as important as training your body. So a lot of the ultra runners, like we train with various foods, we practice. If you showed up on race day with food you'd never eaten, you're likely to get, you know, gastrointestinal issues. But all runners throw up though. That's my specialty. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, drinking like hydration really important of course if you get dehydrated then your stomach stops working and other issues with dehydration uh, a lot of the runs I do are in the mountains and some are really exposed so weather can be a challenge so the race I did recently at Mount Kosciuszko it started off we had you know really strong winds at the top of Mount Kosciuszko then it started raining then it was over 30 degrees down in the valley and then we had a lightning storm. So within one race, because you're out there, I was out there for over 12 hours, you get all different weather in the mountains in particular, you know, it'd be hot, it could be cold. So taking the right gear, knowing when to use it. I've been in races where I didn't put my jacket on and then I noticed it at the end. So knowing when you need to actually stop running, get dressed because it's going to help you 80Ks down the track. And looking forwards into, yeah, what I do now is going to impact me at the 80K mark because it can be the difference between finishing the race and not finishing the race. And, I mean, once you get into the nighttime, you know, practicing running in the dark, so taking a headlamp, being able to run, yeah, in the dark. I don't run far enough to worry about sleep deprivation, but some of my ultra colleagues who run 100 miles and plus, they have to worry about, you know, are they going to micro sleep or are they not? So the longer you get, the more you have to think about. But for my considered shorter ultra races, it's predominantly nutrition, hydration, weather. Yeah. I Most of my races, I finish by, the dark, by night, which is fortunate. Yeah. And here's a really mundane one. I was thinking about this, your feet. Tell us about your feet, Trish, because you must think about your feet a lot. Uh, <laughs> Do you know, I, I don't, I've never ever pulled out or thought of pulling out of an ultra because of my feet. Wow. 
That, yeah, that's a good, a good point to, to mention you know? your sponsor. <laughs> yeah. Look, my feet, I do get blisters occasionally, but never to the point where it would stop me running. Most yeah. most of my issues are, are stomach-related. You know, yeah, there's there's things to think about if you are someone who gets foot issues about, you know, you might have a spare change of socks or shoes or something like that in a drop bag if you know it's a particularly wet race in the first half but dry in the second half. Yeah. I've never changed my shoes or socks in a race personally because yeah. you're just going to run through another river and they'll get wet again. Wow. Um, but it's up to, yeah, some people choose to get changed. Um, so, yeah, that's a good question. I do I actually look after my feet though a lot. So I do a weekly self-pedicure on my feet just to keep them, to prevent that kind of thing. Lovely. And out of curiosity, how many, like how often do you go through a pair of shoes? Do you know I'm a terrible runner and I don't take notice. I have a few <laughs> pairs and I just grab what I need to on the way out. I wear them well past the recommended time frame. Yes. <laughs> <Just say that. laughs> um, look, it's, it's so interesting because it, as, as we're talking about these issues, even your answer to that last question, it's so different, isn't it? When you take like what I did yesterday, which was me lumbering along for, for 40 minutes and turning that into something that goes on day and then into the night through the mountains and all the different variables, it's fascinating. And in that, I suppose it's a it's a good segue to say, we've talked a bit about, you know, the physical and the mental, but but how much do you think success depends on preparing and managing your body? And and it sounds like you working with your trainer that there's a lot of thought going into this. How much does it depend on managing your mind? And and do you talk with a sports psychologist about some of these things that you've mentioned um, in terms of, you know, the points at which your brain is telling you to stop and how you manage that? Yeah, look, I actually think e the, the physical part is the easier part to train and I think the mental part is like the edge. That's the extra bit. So in the last two years, I've worked a lot harder on the mental preparation side of things because, you know, the physical side of things, I get my program, it's really clear, you know, I need to do this much of this type of training, this much of this type of training that works for me. But the mental side, yeah, I've been working on quite a lot. I read a lot of, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and I'm out for many hours. So I've listened to many audiobooks on mindset, which is probably <laughs> where I get most of my ideas of what I'm going to practice. But yeah, so I started trying to practice a lot more in training. And I think that whole perseverance and, you know, when you get to that hard part in the race, a lot of that's been practiced. So I didn't just show up and, you know, get surprised and things weren't going well and it was 40Ks in. Um, you know, I have training sessions that I, I maybe don't feel good and it's easy to be like, oh, we're not feeling good. One training session doesn't matter. You know, I'm four reps into eight reps set. I'll stop now because it doesn't matter. It's true physically. It doesn't matter. You know, finishing that extra four reps will physically make no difference, but mentally I believe it can make a difference. So, you know, if I give myself permission to stop at four reps because I'm feeling a bit tired, well, what's going to stop me stopping at 40K because I'm feeling a bit tired? So I tend to have the mindset that that the mental part is worth finishing that set as long as there's nothing actually wrong, obviously, if you're injured. You should not do that. But if it's just that I'm not, not in the mood, I will make myself still finish. Even if I'm slower than what I was planning, it's for the mental training more so than the physical side of things. And I, I think that's it's really important to me so that I don't just get into a habit and practice just pulling out, if that makes sense, or practice yes. stopping. And I also, yeah, it's so a training not to quit, I guess, is what I'm trying to do there. And then I would also, you know, in each of the races, I guess, 
when I do get to that point, I, I do try and think about my why, like why I'm doing this. And I do try and practice that outside of the races. So making sure I'm really clear about why I'm running and I'm running because I love to run and I love because I'm choosing to run. No one's making me go out there. I, it's not my living, it's for fun. So knowing that before the race, it's not trying to figure it out on race day is really helpful because you can come back to that when you're at that low and think, well, no, I'm, I'm here because I want to be here. I've chosen to be here. Um, I love the whole process. And yeah, even when you're feeling low, that can help pull you out a little bit as well. So, you know, I've written down my why. I look at it, you know, on those mornings when I don't want to go running and it kind of helps to give you a boost and keep you going. That's great. It's a good segue, I think, talking about, you know, training not to quit and things like that. And for this next question, you don't just have to reflect on yourself. You could also think about some of your colleagues as well, because it sounds like you are quite measured in, you know, in, in listening to your body and, you know, making safe decisions. But is perseverance sometimes a liability? You know, can distance runners become undone by refusing to quit? And is discretion sometimes the better part of valour? Like, have you seen it with some of your colleagues that push themselves past that point where actually it was a smart decision for their their body and their mind probably to, to call it quits? Yeah, I guess it's probably happened to all of us at some point in some way, even if it's not running. You know, it takes a lot of time and experience and making the wrong decision to figure out what the right decision is for yourself. You know, I know I've done that in the past and done more, for example, even in training, trained more. Um, and I used to get quite injured and I haven't for quite a while now, which is great. So, that's, so I have this really measured, balanced training plan. But yeah, abso- absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of, unfortunately, at this sort of level, injuries. And I think the hard thing is, is that we're all, for anyone who's trying to be the best they can be at anything, even if it's not running, you're always somewhat on a precipice of doing too much and too little. And to be the best you can be, you have to creep up to that edge of that cliff. Otherwise you're actually not at your, at your limit. And it's not till you fall off the cliff that you realize what your limit was. Yeah. So I think absolutely. I think perseverance can be, but I like to think of perseverance as a positive thing you know, working towards something that matters to you personally and not giving up when things don't go well and just continuing to try. So, Yeah, that's great. And I'm interested too to think about transferability of the lessons that you've learned from running because I can't help but think that as you've pushed yourself and pushed yourself past the limits that you've been learning about yourself. Are there things that you've learned about yourself, even as recently as as the year just gone, that you think, I understand myself a bit better now through my running? Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess I've had a lot, I have a lot of time to think to myself when I'm out running. Yeah, I guess there's just a lot more. I think I've learned that I I actually can persevere and I can do hard things. And I think a a lot of, you know, women, particularly, you know, I've had a child as well. A lot of people do say childbirth is a similar type of thing, like a life-changing event. I wouldn't call running nearly that much. I actually was talking about this question and I was saying, I actually think the child, you know, being a parent was more life-changing in terms of changing me as a person um, than running is. But I guess there's some lessons from running, you know, when things get tough or feel overwhelming, the whole you know, strategies I use in a race, like breaking things down into bite-sized pieces and just doing one bit at a time and eventually get to the end. I mean, that's what I do in a long race. Um, So that's helpful. You know, learning how to set really good goals and having those big picture goals, but making sure there's like achievable goals along the way um, so that you still have that forward momentum so that you, you know, you don't give up. I, you know, part own a business um, with a friend of mine. And so, you know, things don't always go well and having those long-term goals and clear why 
you know, we have our why statement for our business, same as I'd have my why statement for my running. So yeah, I think it's really transferable, I guess. Um, just It's just different things that we're doing, but yeah, same concepts. It's interesting, actually. You've touched on a lot of things that we've covered in this season. Hey, you're speaking our language. It's like oh. purpose, values, reflection. Yeah. It's like all of the things that we talk yeah, about. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And in fact, it, it works really well, given that this is the last episode, that we, we'll do a little wrap-up in this episode as well to talk a bit about the, how you put the different things together. But I think you've exemplified it really well there. I'm on the right track. Now, I guess just to finish off with, Trish, if people want to follow you, I was referring to that before that I love to follow your exploits and to see some of the pictures of the beautiful places that you're running. How can people follow you and keep up with uh, how you're going this year? Yeah, welcome to follow me on social media. I do have an Instagram account. It's um, at Trish McKibben and I'm on Facebook with the same name. That's the limit of my social media. I'm sorry, but... uh, I occasionally, um, for those who are into running, I do occasionally put my races up on Strava, but um, not my day-to-day runs. Yeah, your your reels on Instagram are great. You've got some really nice posts there, and I've seen some some beautiful places from from where you go running. So it actually it, it's quite inspiring watching that because it makes me think, oh, I'd like to get out and do some trail running. But of course, it looks much easier when you're just watching it at home on Instagram than mm. than when. You- and you're out running for eight hours. Whereas I think following you on Strava might actually be detrimental because you'd be like, yeah, I did a really good 6K today. And then you'd have your pop up. Yeah, <laughs> Trisha's last race. Yeah, 18 <laughs> hours. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the next one won't take me as long as 18 hours. <laughs> I was going to say one thing I didn't say actually was um, I think it's easier to persevere on things that you you love like and you believe in. And I think as a physio, you know, people often, you know, are coming in and they're wanting to sort of get into physical activity or things like that. And they say, well, what's the best sport for my kid? And I always just say the one that they like to do, because you're never going to persevere at something that you don't enjoy. So yeah, I think at the end of the day, it seems, oh, you're persevering through all these big runs, but I actually like it. Like I love it. <laughs> so that's why I do it. Now, listen, we want to wish you all the best too for for the year ahead, both when you're competing as an individual competitor and in the event that you're representing Australia again. So all the best for 2024. And we'll, we'll be really interested to uh, to see how you go pushing yourself through some of those pain barriers this year. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much for having me on. Thanks so much. Thanks.